Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of Science Snacks. It's me, your science liaison with a face designed for podcasting, Eric. So there was a paper that came out and it's talking about diet beverages. So that's going to be our topic for today is the wonderful world and complicated world of diet beverages. Uh, so I, I drink a lot of diet sodas personally, so maybe a little bit biased here, but I'll admit that up front to you. Um, I have personally found, kind of anecdotally, that I uh, d- do better on diets when I have like that little bit of, of uh, diet soda. And of course, I'm not going to drink you know, pure unbridled calories because that's what not diet soda is, but then there's a lot of claims about, you know, uh, diet soda health claims. So we've talked before about aspartame. That's in one of the other episodes talking about how that's a lot of misnomer, like misunderstandings of like PKU patients. But the short of it is that aspartame is, is fine for you, especially in the dosages that, you know, is, is in diet sodas. Otherwise, you know, you'd see people die. So many people die. If the claims were all true, there would just be deaths among us just nonstop. But... There are some questions about things like, you know, oh, will will uh, having soda, you know, the the sugary substitute properties, you know, increase insulin levels? Will you know this soda, you know, the carbonation has been suggested to, you know, decrease bone density? Will you know sodas in some form or fashion make you crave more foods, which ultimately lead you to getting fatter? <laughs> There's always these claims. Uh, so one of the best ways to look into these is to look at systematic reviews. And luckily in, uh, 2022, March of 2022, there was a paper released called the association of low and no calories sweetened beverages as a replacement for sugar sweetened beverages with body weight and cardiometabolic risk, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Um, the head author on this is Nima D. McGlynn. Um, and she is a uh, registered dietitian. Um, you also have some other people who are PhDs and uh, BSCs that worked on this. This is found in, uh, let's see, uh, the JAMA network uh, in no- nutrition, obesity, and exercise. Uh, so, that being said, let's dive into this. So they were curious if low-calorie and no-calorie sweetened beverages, what they call LNCSBs, but we'll, we'll not keep it complicated, like we'll, we'll keep it simple, uh, as intended substitute for sugar-sweetened beverages uh, associated with improved body weight and cardiometabolic risk factors similar to water as a replacement. So if I'm drinking diet instead of normal sodas, is the benefit that I gain from that, you know, similar to water. And we know that sugar and excess calories correspond to a large number of uh, diseases and, you know, uh, problems, especially associated with being overweight and obese. So, you know, by substituting these things, we can maybe help people lose weight or at least not gain weight. And water is usually recommended as the replacement. Uh, So what they found in the systematic review and meta-analysis of 17 randomized clinical trials, that diet sodas as a substitute for regular sodas were associated with reduced body weight, body mass index, so that's BMI, percentage of body fat, intrahepatocellular lipid, 
So that's hepato, which I believe is liver, uh, maybe kidney, I don't remember, uh, providing benefits that were similar to those of water, the standard of care substitution. So they're saying this is functionally similar to water, which you know had everybody up in a tizzy, as the, as the cool kids said. Do the cool kids say that? So with the... I've, I haven't been cool for a very long time. <laughs> so uh, they, they are making a claim that diet soda has the health benefits associated with water. The findings of this study suggest that over the moderate term, diet sodas are a viable alternative to water as a replacement strategy in adults with overweight or obesity who are at risk for diabetes. So they're saying if you're in this particular overweight or obese category, these could be a viable alternative. They have moderate term data. So they're claiming they're not claiming anything about like long-term health benefits or, or losses and stuff. Um, so let's get a little bit more into how and what they did. So they uh, let's see. They randomized clinical trials, RCTs, with at least two weeks of interventions comparing diet sodas, uh, regular sodas, and water. So the uh, data was extracted and risk of bias was assessed by two independent reviewers. So they had people who didn't have, you know, uh, uh, stakes in this <laughs> uh, make the uh, analysis. Uh, let's see, a network meta-analysis was performed with data expressed as a mean difference or standardized mean different, a difference with a 20, or excuse me, 95% confidence interval. Uh, so they're saying, hey, we did good stats. Uh, this is uh, statistically strong. So let's look at that, that exact results. So out of a total of 17 random clinical trials with 24 trial comparisons included, Involving a total of 1,733 adults, the average age was 31, um, and then uh, the uh, 1,341 women, 74%, with obese or obesity who are at risk, or overweight or obesity who are at risk for diabetes. All in all, the uh, diet soda was a substitute uh, for uh, the regular soda in 12 random clinical trials, which amounted to a total of 601 participants. Water was a substitute in three clinical trials, 429 participants, and diet soda was a substitute for water in nine clinical trials, so a total of 974. Substitution of the uh, diet soda for regular soda was associated with reduced body weight by uh, 1.06 kilograms, or roughly 2.2 pounds, uh, which they have at a high confidence interval. And then they have, let's see, two, oh, they have a range from 1.71 to 0.41 kilograms. So somewhere between three-ish pounds and one pound. Uh, body mass index or uh, was, let's see, a decrease of 0.32. And body fat percentage was a decrease of 0.6, and it ranged from 1% to, to 0.18. So for someone like me, you know, I'm, I'm a little right at 200 pounds, <laughs> and, but I do a lot of weight training and stuff like that. So uh, for me, that would be 1% is roughly 2 pounds, of, of which makes sense. So they're saying like, oh, these people lost 2 pounds of what would be fat from uh, their body by, by substitution. 
There's also no association found between diet soda for water with any outcome except glycolated hemoglobin, um, which they found at 0.2% and 0.4%, 0.02% and 0.4%, um, and systolic blood pressure. The certainty of the evidence was moderate and low, let's say substitution for the diet soda for the regular soda, and low substitutions of water for the regular to uh, diet or, uh, for body weight, and was generally moderate for all other outcomes. So we just talked about a lot of data. <laughs> so let's kind of wrap it up here. Uh, the systematic review and meta-analysis found that diet soda, as intended for substitution, was associated with small improvements in body weight and cardiometabolic risk factors without evidence of any harm and had similar direction of benefit as water substitution. The evidence supports the use of diet soda as an alternative replacement strategy for regular soda over the moderate term with adults. So. Then they, they really dive in, you know, so that, that was kind of your synopsis. Uh, the paper itself dives into sugar consumption being a, a public health concern and talks about like, hey, we've been battling this for long periods of time. Biological mechanisms involving impaired sensory and endocrine signaling mediated by uh, sweet taste receptors and changes to the microbiome have been implicated in like why people might uh, be at risk for diabetes or cardiovascular diseases and all these cohort studies. So obviously the biggest challenge here is calories. So if you have something that you know is very calorie dense, like let's say a very small 200 calorie soda, that's obviously going to be a problem. So if we can substitute calories without any other detriment, then we should be good. Now, what's the difference between diet soda and regular soda? The, the regular soda has a, you know, law, uh, has sugar, whereas the diet soda, instead of sugar, has a sugar substitute, like aspartame. Um, and so a lot of people have pointed to aspartame as, no, that's also dangerous. The body's not designed for that. Um, there's other research studies that talk about the fact that, like, you don't raise insulin levels with aspartame, which is something that they claim for a long period of time, that the sweetness of it, they would say, oh, that's going to raise insulin levels. That's a big deal. Um, but it's actually not the sweetness that causes the, the taste bud receptor. It, it doesn't cause insulin levels to spike. Even if they do, they're they're not, you know, receiving that sugar. It's, it, they they don't shift significantly in any meaningful way due to the drinking of diet soda. Instead, they generally will respond very strongly to the actual sugar molecule. It's, it's the molecular kind of lock and key uh, mechanism for sugar, how it's structured, as compared to aspartame. Now, this doesn't take into account other aspects. So, talking about like the carbonation or like many sodas have caffeine and caffeine is is a very well studied and very understood drug that you know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about um i myself you know utilize caffeine in order to you know really get through but i also notice that like too much caffeine gives me anxiety gives me um like makes me feel like i can't relax um, makes me, you know, kind of sleep deprived. And so I'll go through periods where I'll like make it so that I don't have caffeine because my life feels sometimes worse. It's a, it's a weird thing when you don't have caffeine for a long period of time and then you have it 
it, uh, it supercharges you and you feel like you can do anything, but becoming too reliant, too dependent on it. I have a coworker. She says, you know, I can't do anything until, you know, I have six cups of coffee because I'm so uh, immune. I'm so resistant to caffeine. Um, and that's, that's really problematic to be so dependent on, on these drugs. Uh, however, soda itself, the diet soda nature of it, um, at least from what we seem here uh, in overweight and clinically obese individuals, seems to be a reasonable alternative, at least in the moderate term. I like how they're covering themselves, not saying long term, because, you know, let's say you start out at, you know, very, very obese. Well, maybe at a certain point you switch over from diet sodas to just water because maybe that ends up being better for you at a, at a certain point. Um, I personally think probably I should not be <laughs> drinking diet soda, uh, but I enjoy the taste and, you know, there's no, at least as far as I've seen, um, uh, terrible, terrible um, uh, problems associated with the diet soda, especially at the frequency I drink it, which is not that often. Um, there's a lot of other studies out there that make claims about like carbonation having, uh, causing decreased bone density or, or headaches associated with drinking soda, um, or, or, you know, other claims about like, oh, you know, this, this can potentially, uh, cause, cause a variety of other different, uh, neurological things. I think a lot of those are misplaced fear, but maybe some of them have some credence. We don't know from this paper. Instead, we know that in overweight individuals, it could make a possibly good substitute for the soda they might be consuming that's causing them to be in a caloric positive. But maybe we'll read more papers about this. Anyways, that's enough for me. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, making this a podcast you enjoy. And hey, don't forget your safety glasses.